Welcome to the Colors of InfoSec podcast, a podcast demystifying what it means to navigate a career in information security and technology as people of color. I'm your host, Asif Ahmad. And I am Christina Marillo. And we're here to give you an all-access pass into tech and InfoSec's past, present, and future. Today, we're going to be discussing the InfoSec pipeline and what we're calling the calculated chaos behind that. So first to level set, let's talk about what this really means, right? What the InfoSec or, you know, otherwise known as cybersecurity talent pipeline, what this really means. Asif, what do you think it means from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, what I think it is, it is kind of like the talent pool that is groomed and developed, whether it's through certification or whether it's through, you know, going to college or attaining a degree. It's where the talent is is found and it's brought into the industry. So when talking about like just the InfoSec cybersecurity pipeline, I mean, we we see a lot of, you know, um, blog posts, blogs, articles related to the fact that there is a shortage, right? There aren't enough, there aren't enough heads or there aren't enough, there isn't enough talent to fill all of the cybersecurity jobs in this space, right? Yeah, I, well. I know we talked about that a lot. I, yeah. I don't I don't know if we we both agree. I think we actually vehemently disagree with that um, to a certain yeah. extent, right? No, most definitely, most definitely. I, I feel like that is it's, it's a misconception because I do feel there is a shortage within the industry, and especially for people of color. So that's that's an, another sidebar topic that I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that we can get into there. But as I read a I read an article the other day that roughly eighty four percent of all tech executives happen to be Caucasian. And then you go into that leaves, leaves you with roughly, what about 16% that is actually uh, of color. And based on that breakdown and based on those percentages, I can assume just based on this clear observation of what I've seen in the field, uh, that most of that is Asian. So you, if you're looking at Black representation, Hispanic representation, that's probably maybe Black, roughly maybe one, one and a half percent. And then Hispanic may, may not even be at 1%. So this pipeline, and if they're, we're really talking about a shortage amongst the entire field that they're trying to fill, just imagine with people of color, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Uh, people are talking about it. And however, I feel like nothing is being done. And I have another thing, another bullet point is that although metrics in IT tell part of the story, I don't think met- metrics tell the full story. I think metrics gives you like a little snippet of what's going on. But a lot of the times, the way the metrics are collected, it is based on surveys, right? Surveys done by either these certifying bodies or surveys being done and they're not really accurate. So if you're just going off of those numbers, it's probably worse than that. So as far as to call a pipe that pipeline broken or to call it problematic, I think it is pretty much an understatement. Well, yeah, I mean, let's back up a little bit right? because I think that it's it, the problem is twofold, right? First, um, which we we speak about a lot, job descriptions are bad, right? Uh, they're very poorly done. Um, obviously, you know, we we speak about how they're really most of the time they're not written by the hiring manager mostly all of the time they have unreal expectations right uh, but then also another uh, point is just the interview process right you know we were talking about panel versus uh, panel interviews uh, versus technical interviews versus you know hiring managers gauging your 
your your tech chops by your ability to recall. I, I am a hiring manager and I've been doing it for a, a good amount of time. You need to have that person's input when it comes to putting together the descriptions per se. Um, that's the person that's going to be managing that person. That's the person that's going to be developing that person's uh, action plan, uh, review uh, their progression within the, an organization. So it's it's extremely important that that person who's going to be working with that hire or that potential candidate that's coming into the company, that that hiring manager has a lot of input. I think that's something that's lost today. I don't think it's going on as much. Um, if the, I notice a lot of the big firms are now somewhat empowering that hiring manager, but at the same time, that hiring manager not only has temptation and a relationship with the HR person or and or the outside recruiter that's bringing this talent in, but also that hiring manager should also be involved with the director and the C-level so they can not only understand the big picture of this hire, but also that that career progression towards it. And I, I just feel like that is an art in this industry today. Um, I'm starting to see some improvements. Um, I, I see the bigger firms are now are now applying this 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 theory. However, uh, we're a far ways away from actually fixing this. Well, I mean, I think there's like a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect between not only the hiring managers, but like the expectations of the company and HR. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, even if the hiring manager writes the job description um, or primarily writes the job description, HR still has kind of like that oversight, right? Where I've seen like plenty of unreal expectations. I mean, there there was even, I think I, I shared a tweet with you the other day where like the developer of this framework, you know, who he developed it like five years ago. I would, I don't know. I think he was applying for a role or so he was looking through roles and he saw a position that required like 10 years experience in this framework that he created five years ago. It's like mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's like they don't do any research. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it, it also, it also really discourages like entry level folks right now in this industry. It's like entry level roles are non-existent. Right. Yeah. The expectations are that of someone that has at least like, I don't know, four to like six years experience, right? But what happens to folks who are, you know, who want to step? And so it just, it just becomes very messy. I know that there is like this really weird stat where like, an actual fact, factual stat, where there's a higher percentage of women that do not apply if they do not fit uh, all of the requirements in the job role, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. men, men will apply anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of folks encourage women to apply, to apply, to apply, even if you don't fit, you know, if you fit like, I don't know, six out of 10 of the job requirement. But it is intimidating, especially when you're when you're talking about entry level, uh, yeah. entry level individuals that want to break into the security industry. Like, are they going to apply if they meet or have zero experience outside of, you know, kind of theoretical? Right. Probably not. Right. And so I, sometimes I wonder if this issue or shortage actually exists, right? <laughs> well, uh, I have, I have, a, I have a theory and um, it's, 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 it's a pretty, a <laughs> it's, it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty, pretty crazy theory, but here's what it is. I feel like this stuff's done on purpose. I feel like the pipeline bottleneck is a intentional, it, it's, it's intentional and it's done to give an industry more mystique it's done to um, inflate a lot of egos. 
a lot of fragile people who exist in this industry to hold on to their to their to their relevance. Um, it also is designed, and it, it, it and to me is rooted in systemic bias. Now let's let me get back to your questions and some yeah. of the questions because I thought they were excellent questions, and I I really enjoy the questions. And I only I really, have excellent questions. I really like your mindset, so I'm going to try <laughs> and break it down the best as I can. As far as the entry level roles being non-existent, 100%. I totally agree with you, and this is why I feel corporate America wants to get you to work for free as much as possible. Mm. So so that's my theory on that. So the reason why entry-level roles are very limited is because they want to handpick you. So therefore, you have a big firm, a big tech firm, a big investment banking firm. They have their own outreach programs. They have their own pipeline, right? They have pipelines to these big Ivy League universities. Mm-hmm. They have pipelines to MIT. They have pipelines to Stanford. They have career day. Um, when we were coming up, I didn't see too many tech firms at our career day, but I'm, I'm not I'm not hating. I'm just keeping it real. The second thing as far as working for free, they have a lot of internship programs. So you take an intern and you put them into that program. You make them jump through hoops. You make them do all of these things. Now, the reason why I'm saying all of this, jumping through hoops, is because I developed a graduate program at, at a company that I worked for in the past. I also developed a uh, another program that would feed uh, through through a university in South Florida as well. So mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've actually been there. And when I did it, I did it with the intention. This was my intention, right? My intention was I was I was newly in the industry. I've only been in the industry for like five, six years when I proposed this solution. And um, it, 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 the, the faces of the CIO, the face of the, uh, the senior infrastructure manager, their faces lit up. And I was like, wow, they really want to hire people and they really want to make this industry better. That was my naivety at the time. Their, their faces lit up as I look back on that situation because they saw the freeness of the labor. Because you can get a college student, you can get someone to come in to your workforce and work at a, at a lower wage, possibly even free. And call Wait, it when you industry. say free, you mean like for credit or something like that? Like yeah, you can, you, can get, you, you, can, you can call it an apprenticeship. You can say you're working with a you could you're you're working with an experienced person. You're gaining experience in the field because back to your initial initial point, right? Entry level roles don't exist. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're very they're far and few between. So for a person to develop that to develop their own path or carve out their own way, they're willing to work for free to say, listen, I'll bite the bullet for a year, two years, get that experience under my belt. Now I can go and apply for this quote unquote, entry level role with three years experience and with a degree or with a certification under my belt. And they could, they'll overlook maybe a year or two of my experience, kind of similar to a certification exam. Like if you're going to go sit for hypothetically the CISSP, you need five years to take it, right? right? Or you become an associate of a CISSP. If you want to take a CISA or a CRISC or any of these certifications, you need a certain amount of experience. However, if you have other certifications or if you have someone willing to vouch for your experience or the fact that you've done something like an internship of some sort, you can get you, you can have uh, some of the experience requirements uh, waived. So that practice that certification exams do that, they got that from the industry. The industry has been doing that for years. So the whole entry level, the whole internship graduate, to me, those are all rooted and those are all planned. And those are ways for these organizations to minimize costs but keep productivity. That's a really good point. And I didn't think of it that way relative to like the entry level roles. Um, mm-hmm. And also I knew, 
like I know about internship programs, but I always assume that they were paid, right? Um, especially mm. the ones that that are facilitated by like these large organizations, right? Yeah. I, I assume that they were paid. I have heard of the college credit things, but I always assume that like these were. Um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure they are paid, but are they paid the the amount that, that industry, role, like at that level at, yeah. at the industry standard or at at the level that that role that that role would require if they hired yeah. someone? "Quote unquote," that met those that met those standards. Yeah. So it, it it and to me, you know, that's where I believe, and that's where I get my theory that this is planned. That this is of this is of the intention behind this is exactly what we're seeing because to fix a problem like this, where you have an inaccurate job description, that can be fixed very easily, right? You can say, "Listen, let's get these job descriptions to where we're at." I've seen jobs, which I think is a, it's, a, it's another good practice in these job descriptions to say, you need the certified ethical hacker to work here. However, you can, if you can attain it within a year or two, that, that that's that's good as well. If you have the ability, you just don't, you know, you just never took the cert before, or you have an or equivalent experience. See, those are those are type those are the types of things in job descriptions that I put in I put in, for instance, my job descriptions. Is that if, if there's a certain certification that you need for the job, say someone's been a red teamer or a blue teamer for, say, 10 years or has the, the blue team experience, like you can read that resume and say, wait a second, although he's not saying blue team and red team, he has those attributes. He has that skill set uh, that that's what you look for. And that's the disconnect right there. You were you're you were talking about earlier, like I'm bringing it back full circle with HR. See, someone who's in HR is not going to know that. But. If the person in HR has a relationship with the hiring manager or has a relationship with the director and they're all communicating, you know, a person in HR could say, listen, I don't see a certified ethical hacker on this resume. I don't see this red team or blue team experience you're talking about. However, this guy has a lot of experience. I've seen that before and I've gotten a resume from HR and I've looked at him like, listen, he doesn't refer to his experience as what we want, but he has it. So let's let's set up an interview now. Yeah, but I think that's that's like that doesn't really speak to scale, right? Like when you're talking about these large enterprises or large corporations, yeah. like they don't have time to have those type of close relationships. So it's almost like they have to automate these processes, right? And try to filter by keywords and those um, you know, those HR like systems that kind of Yeah, the applicant tracking systems, yeah, ATS. Exactly. The, the, the thing about those ATS systems is is, I don't know if this, those systems are being used the way they were intended to be used because what you do, what you have now is you have people they tailor their resume, they put those keywords and, and they and they put it into their resume so they can get past that, so they can get to the room, so they can get to the interview stage, and then from there, you know, it's a crapshoot, right? Once you get in front of that uh, that panel or that person that that has the ability to you know pass you on to the next level or to hire you. Um, it's it's pretty much 50-50 because your personality can can kind of can either overcome some of the shortcomings in your resume or your personality can destroy how good your resume is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, so it's a fifty it's a fifty-fifty thing with that with that with that second round. But I feel that that ATS it it really weeds out a lot of good candidates. So oh, I yeah. think it's definitely I, I think I think a lot of this quote unquote shortage is really self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah, it's really self-inflicted within these companies. Talking to you about a friend of mine who was actually going through some 
some interviewing recently, like remotely, can't just recall random stuff, right? Um, but they're really good at at like dissecting and thinking through a problem and coming up with like potential solutions, kind of looking at why this is a problem and iterating on the fly. Yet the hiring manager, obviously, you know, this person didn't didn't pass the interview because the hiring manager was asking specific questions about like unrelated topics, right? And I, you know, I told my friend, listen, it's ridiculous. And you know, I agree that it's ridiculous because at the end of the day, even developers like Google and Stack Overflow things. Like, listen, I would fail the interview too because I don't always remember. Like my memory recall is not always that great. I mean, I have like a, a gazillion things going on at the same time, but I can walk through things as well. I'm similar to this person. And so, you know, I think, I don't know. I think, I feel like there isn't, I don't know if there's a better way. I personally think that hiring managers should really uh, make it more conversational and more like problem solution. If you're not a developer that don't don't necessarily have to code day to day, like, why are you asking them random questions? I feel like they should really try to gauge, you know, how the candidate thinks, the problem solves, why, how, you know, why they feel this is a problem, you know, instead of concentrating on what, what the candidate can recall. That I think that a lot of times it's that they already have someone else in mind for the role, but they have to do due diligence by interviewing externally. Um, and the intention was never to hire someone external, you know, from, from the outside. Sometimes it, 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 it works out, right? But I don't think that that's always the intention. I mean, I know we're always talking about entry level folks, but I, I also see a huge problem with folks that are currently in the industry um, that want to change roles. And now it's becoming even like more complicated for the person to move, right? Because the requirements and expectations are ridiculous, even though the person has enough experience that they don't really necessarily need a certification, right? Because they yeah. have experience to back up. I, I, I see what you're saying because... Uh, it's happening a lot more. It's funny that you mentioned your friend because uh, I, I see it happening all the time. Like I get pulled in to do the technical interviews a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the, the way the technical interviews are done is that a lot of the times what they do is you have to come up with your technical interviews and they have to be screened and approved by HR, by by someone else too, so, uh, the independent recruiting. So it has to be all standardized because you don't want to, it to be you want to, you want to give each candidate a level of fairness right so the question pool and all of these things are usually pre-approved uh, by by HR as well uh, they have to be for you like like you said sometimes local and state uh, laws, yeah. country laws so that that's that and I totally agree I feel like you knowing different types of hashing uh, you knowing exactly the definition of DNS you know that really doesn't doesn't really matter it, it, at, at the end of the day. Your ability to recall things don't really matter. What truly matters is you understanding what it does and you being able to describe what DNS does, right? right? Opposed to actually being able to just rattle off a definition That's and give you something definition. from a check. Yeah. And I feel, I, I really feel the reason why a lot of people do that is because sometimes they don't know it themselves and they just look online, they do a quick Google search and they see what questions would be good to ask. Uh, however, I think in order for this industry to truly get talented people, they need to understand that everyone's different. So 
even if someone doesn't know something like there's been times where I've, I've interviewed someone and uh, they at the time they got nervous and they forgot. And it was it was between two people. And uh, the one the one person he went through the interview like like he went through so fast that I had a half hour with him. And he was done within 15 minutes because he knew it. it was like it was like almost like he was interviewing me. Um, but then the second person, right, he he took time and broke down everything. And we didn't even get when we got to the end of it. He got kind of hazy and he, and he forgot. He's like, listen, I'll get back to you. So within the next 10 minutes, I got an email from this from the second guy breaking something down. And when I saw that, even though on the interview itself, he forgot it. But the way that he broke it down, I was like, I know this guy knows what he's doing and he's the right person for the job. So I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's the more it's more of the mindset and a person's analytical ability, their cognitive ability, their like ability to it's not only yeah. about the technical aspects. I think that you can find people that are super technical and have no communication, um, like no ability to communicate properly. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how to articulate an idea. Right. Don't know how to translate a technical requirement to a business requirement and vice versa. And don't also know how to communicate technical you know, technical requirements or technical deployments to executive leadership. Executive leadership doesn't give a crap what, you know, what framework you're using. They just want to make sure that it's, you know, not going to put their business at risk and that it's going to get done, right? Like the, the, the granular details, they, the board doesn't really care. It's like, you know what I mean? Just minimize our risk. What's the budget? You know, are we okay? What's the status? And let's keep it moving. But this is the issue, though. I, I totally agree with you. But here's what uh, I'm saying. If the C-level doesn't communicate that clearly to the director level, if the director level doesn't clearly communicate that to the hiring manager level, if the hiring manager level doesn't commu- directly and clearly have a communication strategy or some type of process that he he or she discusses with the HR and, and and even internally or external recruiters that you're using, if that isn't communicated through the culture of the company, then what we, what what we're saying is just it's null and void. It, it doesn't matter. It means that the talent doesn't mean that much to the company, and the company isn't trying to re- acquire talent, retain it, and actually make their cybersecurity program or their cybersecurity culture a and one that's fruitful, one that's actually doing and meeting the needs of the organization. So you can sit here and look at metrics. You can sit here and look at all of these things. But in order for this pipeline to be fixed, it has to be done from the top down. You know, it can't be done the way it's continuing to do. Now, that's why, you know, to allude what we said earlier, you said to me, listen, with a lot of these bigger companies, uh, they would rather use the applicant track. I said, well, good. You want to use that tra- applicant track? Understand there could be errors in that, and, and you might not have tuned that to work to your benefit, right? You might have, you, you know, because because you want to, you, you're worrying a uh, quantity over quality. You're gonna you're gonna have a you're gonna have a drop off there. So in order to get to know the candidate properly and to gauge how they solve and think problems, it takes time to vet that. It takes time to groom that. It takes maturity, a certain maturity level. When I mean my, my maturity level, I mean as far as your processes are concerned, right? So if your processes aren't mature to interview candidates, if your processes aren't mature on how to bring talent in 
or uh, your interview process, then you have to seriously sit down and look at them. And that has to come from that C-level. And I feel because C-level. The, from the C-level, though, because I don't think the C-level is that. Um, I think the C-level is like further removed. I mean, I, I agree that they, they, you know, they help like push the culture. But I, I don't think that, I think that it, you know, especially thinking about like bigger companies where there are like multiple C-levels, like where, you know, you could be like, you could be a, a hiring manager um, that's like five people removed from, you know, five levels removed from like the C-level team, right? And maybe like 10 levels removed from like the executive leadership team, for example. I don't know what people are looking for. I, to be honest, I think that they're looking for unicorns. I think that they're looking for people that come at a cheap cost that know how to do everything, right? Jack mm. of all trades, master of none. And um, they're going to continue to like cry wolf about the InfoSec pipeline and the cybersecurity pipeline, but yet they're, you know, continuing to weed out folks because of culture fit um, or, you know, confirmation biases. Uh, it's, it's very, the process is very biased. And unfortunately they're weeding out who I consider to be top level talent in many cases, uh, because mm-hmm. of these broken processes. So, I mean, we can talk about this for hours. I think that, you know, what what are some of our takeaways? I mean, I, I think that um, it's important for the candidate to also be empowered, right? I think one of the things that we spoke about before was that, hey, you're being interviewed, but you're also interviewing that company, right? Like, don't be afraid to ask these, um, ask impactful questions, right? Ask about, you know, uh, is there leadership buy-in, right? I asked that question when I've interviewed mm-hmm. Like, how does leadership look at cybersecurity, right? What are some examples? What are some projects, right? And and really kind of do your due diligence as well um, and do a lot of research on the company. If you continue this trend, you will burn your people out. Well, that's already it, happening. Yeah, they, 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 I'm sure it is. I, I know because I'm part of that as well. <laughs> but once you acquire talent, you also develop talent as well. And you never want your people burning out because it will it will spread like wildfire. And I'm telling you right now, the, the infosec industry will suffer. And if you think you have a shortage of talent now, wait till people start not wanting to do this work and start doing something else, especially this new generation that's coming up. They're very, very cognizant of how much they work. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they start addressing this and fixing it because if they don't, they will, I guarantee you, and because threats are going up. The, the 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 threats are, are constantly going to keep going up, and if you don't have personnel that are skilled, or you have one person doing five jobs and doing this multitasking, which multitasking is good if applied correctly, but I don't think multitasking should be it, it shouldn't be the norm. It should be it should be the exception. It should be the yeah. exception, not the norm. And they're normalizing multitasking and overworking and burnout. And you keep doing that, you're gonna have a bigger drop off. And what you think, especially in this post-COVID environment, like when a candidate comes in to an interview, I'm going to quote the great poet, Sean Carter, and say <laughs> that I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. And he's absolutely right. This role and this company has a lot to gain from me and my talents and my craft because you take your craft that seriously. This is monetized, okay, on both sides. The company is being, is monetizing your talents and you're monetizing the time in which you're there. So I think when you go in with that that persona or that mindset that this is 
you know, I'm a business, they're a business, and this is a B2B transaction. Yeah. Like I said, like, like, like Jay-Z said, he's 100% right. And I think that's something that we need to honestly start looking at when we walk into these, into these interviews is that you're not only are they interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing them. I'm also interviewing them. You mentioned also reporting structure. I'm going to give you a little story about one about, about something that I did. I, uh, I was helping out an organization, uh, interview people. And, um, one of the candidates in the interview, he asked such a, a poignant question. He was like very thorough, very well prepared. You know, he was, he was razor sharp. And he asked the question, he goes, so, um, where's this, where's the CISO fit in to this, to this organization? And they were like, well, we don't have a CISO. He's like, well, do you have a CIO? They were like, no. He was like, so what is the reporting structure? So if I'm coming in here at this role, who do I report to? And they told him who he reported to. And he was like, well, who does that person report to? And he was like, that person reports to the head of infrastructure. So he was like, so you have a vice president of infrastructure. You have the, uh, my manager didn't have me and I'm supposed to be in charge of security when in all actuality, there really wasn't a, a, a person that's just respond, a clear person responsible for security. And after the interview, um, I asked the HR person, I was like, yeah, did you ever, he's like, no, he removed himself from the candidacy of the position because he didn't like the structure. He was like, I, I would be having an uphill battle because I would be battling with people on the infrastructure side who are focused on availability as one of the tenants of InfoSec, right? And he's like, I want, what about confidentiality? What about integrity? What about privacy? What about all these other things that come along within the InfoSec industry? If I'm battling with my own, my own team or my own management structure, you know, and, and there's no clear structure there to, for me to get these, these security policies approved, they, they're all being looked at from from the from the perspective of of availability, then that would hinder my ability to make impact. So I, just just seeing that, just being on that team, that that interview panel, and seeing how that person handles, I learned a lot from him. I was yeah. like, well, the fact that he was holding this company's uh, management structure to the fire, he yeah. was asking pointing questions. I think that's what I want to see more from our industry. And if someone's going to take something away from from this episode. I want them to, to, to take that away. You are valuable and you do bring a lot to the table, right? Yeah. And and, and, and I, feel, I, too, I truly feel that way that sometimes, I know I'm, I'm going to speak for myself. There was a time when I first got into this industry where I just, I, not only that I love what I was doing, but I wanted to get hired so bad that I would sometimes agree to do a lot of things. And it, it, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I was spread through too thin in yep. some of these positions, especially with the expectation to multitask. I think now as I've, I've been in it for a while, I thought it was just, I was the exception. I was the one being asked to do all of these things. But when you start hearing that that exception is now the rule where all of your friends are burnt out, all of your friends are working all these hours. And let's not talk about post COVID, the type of work hours you're putting in, because a lot of people tie remote working or work from home as you know, you're not working as much. In my opinion, I feel like you're working more. I don't have the answers as far as how to fix, you know, bad and poorly done job descriptions and terrible interview processes. But what I can say is I can speak from experience. What I can tell you is that, you know, mentoring other folks and also going through these processes myself, I make sure to do a lot of due diligence. So I don't just willy-nilly apply to roles just because I see one keyword, right? I make sure to 
look at the job description, right? And understand whether it makes sense or understand if someone wrote it that has no idea what the hell they're asking about. Um, if I decide to move to step two, right, like apply or reach out to a you know network, uh, reach out to maybe a mutual connection to pursue that role, I make sure to ask specifics about the role, right? Um, yes, I read the job description, but I really want to understand specifics, right? Like, because if I see a disconnect where they're asking for 10 years experience in a two-year technology, that's a problem. So that tells me, that's a red flag. And it tells me that they don't understand what they're looking for and they have no idea about this topic, right? So mm -hmm. I make sure to do that due diligence. Another thing that I do is, you know, I do scan for those keywords and I A-B test on my LinkedIn and on my resume, right? I have multiple versions of my resume and depending on the job role, I make sure that I align um, the, the specific keywords. I don't lie. I make sure that I align my experience with the keywords of the role and maybe word it correctly, right? Or, or um, rephrase my experience to, to align better. Um, but I also make sure that I prepare and I over-prepare for interviews. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I do my research. I research the company, I research the hiring managers. And if I know who my interview panel is going to be ahead of time, I research them too. Whatever I need to review about the role and also about, you know, whether it's frameworks or depending on the expertise, right? Like what I'm looking for, what I'm looking at. Um, I review those, like those specifics. I, obviously you can't prepare for everything. You have to still be flexible and, and kind of stay on your toes. But I try to prepare as much as possible, especially knowing that in my case, like my friend, my memory recall is not always that great, unless it's a topic that I'm super excited about, right? Like when I talk about identity, I'm super excited about that. So I don't, I don't rely on my memory recall because it's like, it's top of mind all the time. And also I, you know, I, I look at red flags during the interview, right? If I see that they are very focused on developer skills. It's like, I'm not a developer. Like mm -hmm. you're asking me these specific things. Then I see that there's a disconnect there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I never back away from it. I'll still like finish the interview just because perfect, you know, professionalism, but I make sure to do my due diligence there. And to be honest, to your point, I don't know what can solve that. And to be honest, I am not hopeful. I don't think that anything will, because it's going to take, as you always mentioned, like unconventional solutions. And I don't think that people are ready to change processes from the ground up, meaning tear them up and like throw them away and like start from scratch, right? People don't like that type of change. And so, you know, I'm not hopeful to be honest. And I just think that we're going to continue to have this conversation about, you know, the pipeline issue um, years from now, one to two to three years from now, unfortunately. And, you know, maybe AI and ML will take over a lot of these processes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. But that's a, good, I, that's a good point. Yeah. And I just feel like it's not, it's, there's too much. It's like, you know, blowing up an entire like foundation to rebuild it there. Like you said, there's a cost associated to these things. That's an even bigger cost. And I don't think that, that folks prioritize recruiting and hiring as much as they should. You know, we will see what happens. Those gems that she just dropped on you guys regarding, you know, how you research a company, how you tailor your resume for keywords how you prepare for your interviews that's that's how you that's how you get in and that's how you can actually win over your panel that's how actually you could win over the person that's conducted that interview by being that prepared research the company research what Definitely. other what other employees yes. are talking and see what about. other and see what other candidates said about that process because a lot of the times they they share this information freely like you said on glassdoor on other on reddit they 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 freely talk about 
that process. Sometimes even people get into salary negotiation on there as well. What people need to start doing is making their voices heard. Be prepared. And number two, be humble and be willing to learn. I think you'll go far away in this industry. Also research what the company does, you know, what products they sell, like what their business is, because one of the most important things that we always forget in technology and information security is that we are there to support the business, right? We're not there to be kings of the throne, kings and queens, right? We're there to actually support the business. And so understand what is it that they do, right? I mean, that'll take you a long way as well, but really take a look at their product. I think that's important. And that also shows interest. I think hiring managers should raise their hands when they see an issue and really say, listen, we don't need all these bells and whistles. I'm looking for a candidate that that has the ability to learn and that has X, Y, and Z, and that's about it. And take it from there. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, among others. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Colors of Infosec. Thanks for listening. Yeah.